Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Nastia Bonovskaya was born in St. Petersburg, but she grew up here in the Bay Area after her family immigrated to California in the late 1990s. And though she's Russian by birth, her stepfather is Ukrainian, her little sister is too. You may also know her as an associate editor on our KQED arts team. Thank you so much for coming on, Nastia. Thanks for having me, Alexis. We also want to get our listeners involved right away. Are you an immigrant from the former Soviet Union or are your parents immigrants from the former Soviet Union? We'd love to hear your experience of watching what's happening. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, KQED Forum. So, Nastya, you wrote about the war and your experience of, of watching the war for KQED, and you began your essay talking about the solidarity that people from the former Soviet Union found here across individual nationalities. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like to grow up here in in the U.S. among Russians, Ukrainians, Armenians, Georgians, Belarusians, all, all these different groups? Yeah, um, we're not a very big immigrant community. So in the U.S., um, people from the former Soviet Union often find each other through shared Russian language, shared culture. And um, the this um, community often cuts across many demographic lines. Um, there's um, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim people from the former Soviet Union that all kind of hang out together in certain cultural institutions, go to the same bookstore, the same same bakeries, um, grocery stores, eat similar foods. And, and um, yeah, we, we um, support each other because of this shared culture, even though the, the reason it's shared is sort of from a, from a darker history that relates back to Russian imperialism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you, you know, as you were growing up, did you think like, oh, my mom is Russian, my dad is Ukrainian? Or how did you see their nationalities? No, I didn't think about that much at all. Um, Also, yeah, like I I was raised Orthodox Christian, but I went to Russian school every Saturday at um, a Jewish center. So, yeah, it was all sort of blended together in a way that as a child I I didn't think too much of. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Which then, you know, you have Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all these questions now must come rushing up to the fore for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you mean like questions of identity? Yeah, questions of identity and yeah, for yourself and, and what it means to be, a, a, you know, an immigrant from the former Soviet republics that are now at war with each other. Yeah, um, I think, yes, it's definitely made me think a lot more critically of why we're bound together. Um, 
uh, I think uh, all through my life growing up, a lot of people from other former Soviet countries sort of like defaulted to calling themselves Russian to Americans because they didn't really want to necessarily explain the complexities of why they might speak Russian but aren't from Russia. And then I think in my adult life, I've been really intentional about um, building community with sort of um, like-minded immigrants that share culture. Um, And we we often call ourselves former Soviet Union immigrants to not make Russian the default. But in a lot of ways, it is like a lot of the the ways we describe our foods or like our literature or language, we often default to Russian. Um, so now I'm starting to be a lot more critical of that. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, given that background, when the invasion happens, like what do you do? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a really big question. I mean, the, the first thing I did... Um, I, my my friends and I, um, my Russian speaking friends and I, have the, this group chat where we often support each other and talk about different cultural issues. So that became a big place of support. Um, I spent time with my family. Um, everyone I came across was really in in distress. Um, I am also part of this um, former Soviet Union immigrant Facebook group where like a, lo- a lot of the people there um, have family in Ukraine. Um, a lot of my friends here also have family in Ukraine. Like my, my stepdad has like cousins in Kiev and stuff like that. So yeah, immediately just everyone was in shock and horror and figuring out ways to donate. Um, also going to the protests that happened in San Francisco and all over the country and just kind of like coming together to show unity. Yeah. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the protests and what you saw there? Yeah. Um, so I went to a couple protests um, after the invasion happened on the 24th um, in San Francisco City Hall. And so honestly, I came a little nervous, like with my presence as a as a Russian. Um, I wasn't sure how that would be received when I tried to talk to people, you know, potentially for the story that I wrote. But um, the, there I found that most of the Ukrainian people that... Um, were in attendance were Russian speakers ha- were making there there were speeches in Russian and Ukrainian but there was definitely a really big Russian speaking contingent which I think is really powerful because part of Putin's justification for the war is that he says that Russian speakers in Ukraine are are being oppressed by the revival of the Ukrainian language but I I think a lot of Russian speaking Ukrainians would disagree with that. Um, and that's what they came out to do. But there were also flags of people from all other different nationalities. There were Russians um, with signs saying Russians against the war. I saw an Azerbaijani flag. Um, I saw Taiwanese people in solidarity as well. So it was very multicultural. We're talking about Russia's war on Ukraine and how it's affecting immigrants from the former Soviet Union in the Bay Area with Nastya Vonovskaya, associate editor for KQED arts. Are you an immigrant from the former Soviet Union? We'd love to hear your experiences and whether what Nastya is saying is resonating with you. You can give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. You know, I want to get back to the protests in a second. But first, you know, a lot of immigrants myself included, like to sort of valorize the home country. You know, you think like, oh, yeah, you know, there were all these wonderful things. People have like childhood memories and and things like that. In this case, do you feel increasing sort of alienation from the home country? Like, how do you process what it's like to see 
your home country be the aggressor in a war like this? Um, I, I think I've always had some of that alienation. Um, like I, I've my family and I have never um necessarily agreed with like the the policies of the Russian government, and there's a long history of um authoritarianism that dates back not only to the Soviet Union but also to the Russian Empire before that. And there's never really been a time where Russian people have been truly free in in Russia. So um, I've always sort of looked at it with that critical eye. But at the same time, I do have a lot of love for Russia. Like I've been back um, several times since immigrating in 1997. And like, um, I don't know, your homeland always shapes your sense of identity, your culture, like who you are. And there's always a deep love for it, despite, you know, some complicated factors that might not allow you to live there. So I continue to grapple with that um, that complicated relationship. But right now, I think, yes, my alienation is definitely higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned in that group chat and Facebook group with a lot of um, other immigrants from former Soviet republics. Do you see any support for the war? Like, are there people who are like, well, actually, there's two sides to this or actually, like, do you see that kind of stuff? Or is it pretty much universal that people don't want this war? Um, I think among my immigrant community, I have not seen anyone in support of the war. I've heard of like fr- friends of friends or like maybe some of my mom's friends um, that will maybe take a more like nationalistic stance. Well, I'm Russian, so I'm going to be on the side of Russia. But overwhelmingly, I've heard people opposed to it. Yeah. Um, I want to return to that protest that you went to. Um, you talked with uh, Bay Area author Masha Rumer, um, who wrote a book about the Soviet diaspora in the U.S. called Parenting with an Accent. Um, did you find yourselves uh, agreeing? Like, what did Masha have to tell you about her experience of what was happening? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Masha was born in Russia, but um, is from a Jewish family with roots in Ukraine. So she is in touch actively with family members in both countries. And so she was just telling me stories of her family members in Ukraine hiding in bomb shelters and then also a family member of hers in Russia being arrested at the anti-war protests. And um, yeah, we both came just in in total shock of the news because when we met up, it was the first day of the invasion. So Mm. just just being able to talk about it with someone who is feeling a similar pain, I think, was cathartic for both of us. Yeah. I mean, those cross-cultural connections, do you find that when you're talking with your parents, that they're having that uh, that same kind of connection? Or is it is it actually difficult for them in some ways? Um, do you mean like cross-cultural connections to immigrants from other former Soviet republics? Yeah, I just mean, you're, are your parents feeling the same thing about this war, do you think? Or is, are your dad's roots in Ukraine having him feel some other kind of way? No, I think we're all sharing very um, similar feelings. Um, yeah, like, well, m- my dad is Russian, my stepdad is Ukrainian, and, like, both of them, I think, are, are, are equally horrified by mm-hmm. the war. Um, yeah, and then and my mom as well. And, yeah, it's, I, I think it's a similar feeling of just um, is sweeping the community. Like, my, my stepdad actually mentioned a lot of his Russian friends are calling him to apologize on behalf wow. of our home country. And that's sort of the sentiment among other Russian people I've talked to is they feel very like, guilty and um, very um, helpless. Yeah. 
You know, have you ever previously felt activated on Russian politics? Like, did you want to get involved or, you know, get in touch with dissidents or what? what? I'm not sure exactly what you can do, but had you had that connection with Russian politics before? Well, I, I do always kind of follow, like, the... Um the resistance movement in Russia, like with like, um, I, I've definitely been following for a really long time, like this the saga and the persecution of um, opposition leader Alexei Navalny, and then I am also like a big um, reader of Masha Gessen from the New Yorker. So I think yeah, uh, um, and also like Pussy Riot fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the Russian kind of like dissident community is one I follow for sure. Yeah. At this point, do you feel? A sense of powerlessness? Do you feel like there's a, a possibility for action? I think from the U.S., it's it's so limited what we can do. Like, I, I think, you know, we can donate to organizations providing humanitarian aid, like Nova Ukraine, which is based here in the Bay Area. But even but with the chaos that's going on there, I've been reading about um, organizations having difficulty even delivering supplies and things like that. So, um I mean, and we can all, always emotionally support each other in the community here. But, yeah, I think our, our power is a bit limited. Yeah. You know, this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And we're talking about how Russia's war on Ukraine is affecting immigrants from the former Soviet Union in the Bay Area with Nastya Vonovskaya, associate editor for KQED. She was born in Russia, raised in the Bay Area in Florida after immigrating to the U.S. with her family in the late 1990s. Are you thinking about trying to help out with the sort of refugee situation I don't know that we actually know the numbers of refugees that are going to come to the U.S., but we obviously know that this is an enormous wave of people who are leaving Ukraine and are probably looking for places to, to land. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in doing that. Um, I I don't know that I can necessarily like host anyone in my home, but I am definitely interested in like donate, donating money or clothing or even like meeting up with people and helping them get settled. Um, I I've I uh, have I follow and have gone to meetings of this group, um, Rusa Elgabetha. It's like this um, Russian-speaking queer group, and they often um, welcome. Um, asi- like LGBTQ asylum seekers from Russia and Russian speaking countries. So um, that's also like an area I think I would like to focus on when the time comes. Yeah. You know, what's a piece of the history of, from that part of, of the world that you wish more Americans knew about? Like before, you know, everybody became an expert on this area of the world three weeks ago. Um, what's something that you had learned where you were like, this is really crucial context for people understanding what's happening here? Yeah, um, I, I think it's important to just kind of note the, the history of why um, people from the former Soviet republics share culture and language. Because, um, yeah, often we're lumped together as Russian, but in, in Ukraine specifically, this the the suppression of Ukrainian culture and language goes back to something like 300 years. Um, so I think the um, the like from from the the Russian side, it's being painted like Russian speakers in, in Ukraine are, are being suppressed or like they're imposing the Ukrainian language. But in reality, um, it's like there there was this process of Russification throughout the Russian Empire 
and the Soviet Union where Russian culture and language were, were imposed on these um, satellite states. So I think that that's a really important nuance. Yeah. You know, in your story for KQED, you also noted the that, oh, I'll just quote you. You say, white people around the world, including former Soviet people, have a responsibility to counteract the horrors of racism and anti-Semitism. Ukraine certainly has problems with both. And Russia also does as well. Um, how are you seeing, you know, a- activating that in, in yourself, in your own life and in the communities that you're a part of? Yeah. Um, well, so I, I wrote that because one of the um, justifications for the war um, was the quote unquote denazification of mm-hmm. Ukraine, which um, there like there are problems with neo-Nazis in Ukraine for sure. And there, there's specifically one military battalion that was like a far right wing militia that's um, and like a neo-Nazi militia that's been accepted into the official armed forces. So I felt that it was necessary to address that and not glide over that because in a lot of Western coverage, there's like kind of like this like blanket statement of, oh, Ukraine is this bastion of, of democracy. And I mm-hmm. think there's a little more to it. But um, yeah, but so but it, it's just I find it just incredibly hypocritical that that is Russia's justification for the war, because um, a lot of the, the gangs in Russia are neo-Nazi white supremacist gangs like they've been known to um, target queer people and like people of color and, and commit violence. And in my hometown of St. Petersburg, last time I visited, which was 10 years ago now, I saw um, neo-Nazi graffiti like in various parts of town. So I mm. think that's that's something really important that needs to be addressed. And um, I also think like former Soviet Union immigrants often like feel um, kind of see themselves as like, exceptional or sort of like a model minority sort of thing. Um mm. And also, like, a lot of us are white, so it's very easy to assimilate. So I think it's also just extremely important for us to address um, prejudice within our own community because not only is there um, racism within the former Soviet Union immigrant community towards people of color, but there's also, like, discrimination and sort of, like, a hierarchy among um, the the different... um, nationalities and ethnicities that um, I think an outsider may not even pick up on. Like we might all look the same, but there's there's discrimination even within our own community that should be addressed. Yeah. Real quick before we wrap up. I mean, do you see any hope that you're going to return to Russia just as a visitor even? Well, I'm scared because I, you know, I wrote this piece like explicitly calling out the war and now um they're like even um, writing about the war as a war and not a special peacekeeping operation is illegal in Russia. Like protesting is mm-hmm. illegal and it's punishable by 15 years in prison. So I, I don't know when I'll be able to come back. And I think a lot of um, immigrants feel the same way as well. We've been talking about Russia's war on Ukraine and how it's affecting immigrants from the former Soviet Union in the Bay Area with Nastia Bonovskaya, associate editor for KQ Darts. Thanks so much for joining us, Nastia. Thanks for having me. Forum is produced by Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Susie Britton, Dan Zoll, Grace Wan, and Caroline Smith. Cesar Saldana and Marlena Jackson-Rotondo were our engagement producers this week. Judy Campbell's lead producer for the 9 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff. Our interns are Jennifer Ng and Paul C. Kelly Campos. Our executive editor, editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.